It will arise as once before, in ages past when magic soared. Passing o'er the world shore to shore, the wind, the fury again shall roar. Welcome to the Swan Song Podcast by Eamon Cottrell and Brian Stallings. The Swan Song Podcast is an episodic audiobook for the fantasy novel John Swansong and the Parada Isle. Episode 8. John thought he was going to be sick. The ship was bobbing more than normal in the harbor from the storm, but he felt sick because no matter how hard he scanned the shoreline for signs of Rowan and Phineas, he saw nothing. An eternity passed, and then there they were. In the thick of the walkers they appeared. Phineas must have gone into the mess to help Rowan. It appeared as though Rowan was favoring his right side. He had an axe in hand and a bow hung from his back. He was chopping through the walkers as though he was clearing a path through the woods, but every time he extended his right arm too far, the blade dropped sluggishly. In front of him, Phineas continued to hold out his staff in battle with the wind weavings, but he also had a knife in his other hand and was doing as much or more damage with it. Looking at the two men in the fray, John realized how much more dangerous their path was than his own. All he'd had to do was run. Row! boomed Abram, snapping John out of his thoughts. Away! he cried again. And John heard yells of assent from below. John started to cry out that Phineas wasn't there yet, but then he saw what Abram was looking at. The walkers were all running at them now, and many of them were on the last leg of the dock. They would be on the ship in seconds. John then saw that groups of tidewalkers were jumping into the water farther down the edge of Merchant's Row. He shivered and wondered how fast they could swim. Probably fast enough to cut them off if they were named after the very water itself. The shrieks of the walkers were unbearable. They bore down on the ship. One slimy step after another, and more on the dock began diving in the water and aiming for the jasmine. John smelled the rank, sharp odor again and looked back and forth from Abram to the shore, to the lines of walkers, to his pa and Phineas. Rat stood with his mouth agape. His knuckles were white where he gripped the long heartwood staff. This is it, thought John. It's all over. He wondered if he could take a couple down before they killed him. His jaw locked at the thought, and he glared at the shore. He wouldn't go down without a fight. In fact, he thought, As he was devising how to overpower the first walker that came aboard, he saw a jet of blazing orange light shoot out from Phineas's staff. It struck the group of tidewalkers that were almost at the ship and exploded. John was blown off his feet. He felt a blanket of burning hot air waft over him, and when he regained his footing, he saw the dock remained on fire in a couple of places, as the rain was no match for the sudden outburst of flame. Rowan and Phineas jumped over several charred bodies of tidewalkers, and they turned to face the group of walkers behind them. Phineas cast another bolt of fire at the walkers to hold them back and knelt on one knee. He looked exhausted. Rowan pulled the bow off his back and knocked, drew, and loosed in one smooth motion. John saw the tidewalker he struck tumble into the ocean. Phineas was still on one knee as Rowan fired another two, three, four arrows, each one finding their mark. Slowly, Phineas began to regain his composure and rose. He yelled at Rowan, and they turned to run. As they took off, John watched with horror as he saw the silvery glimmer of a spear tip fly past Phineas and lodge itself in Rowan's thigh. Abram shouted out to his crew to arm themselves. The first swimming tidewalkers had reached the ship and were scaling the sides. 
Tice drew a short sword and swung at a slimy arm that had reached over the side of the deck. A scream was muffled as the walker fell away and back into the sea. Two had made it all the way on board, and two sailors, Brick and Brack, were engaging them. The walkers were surprisingly quick up close, despite their trudging pace by foot, dodging the advancing swings of the men. One of them sidestepped a thrust and yanked Brack's arm, pulling him in and tossing him aside like a puppet. It was immediately stabbed twice by Brick, and they fought the other one overboard as well. Clearly, the walkers' strength was their numbers. John knew if they didn't put some distance between the dock and the jasmine, the ship would be overrun with them quickly. The ship was moving. That was the good news. The bad news was that his pa was out there, injured, with no hope of running the final 20 yards or so to the jasmine, much less of jumping aboard once he got there. John kept looking back and forth, wishing he could do something, anything. He clenched his fists and looked around for a weapon, even just a pole or a piece of wood. Rat had disappeared while he'd been watching Phineas and Rowan's approach or he would have gotten his knife back. There was nothing in sight, but it was still pouring and hard to focus on anything. He ran to the other side, slipping and almost crashing down on his back. One of the men he watched fight the Tidewalkers was carrying his injured crewmate down below. He looked around for a rope. Maybe he could throw Rowan some if Phineas managed to get him close enough to the ship. He spotted a bundle and tried pulling it down, but then realized it was attached to something far overhead. If he had had that knife, he might be able to cut off a section long enough. Another boom sent pieces of the dock flying in the air and sparks fizzled out on the chunks of wood that remained. John turned in time to watch Phineas raise his hands to the sky as another swarm of walkers closed in on him and Rowan's position. John couldn't believe how many there were. It was like watching ants pour out of an ant hill. The walkers were flooding the dock and were now surfacing from the waters after swimming from shore to the jasmine and boardwalk. John felt a strange sensation again as Phineas threw his arms towards the line of walkers. It was as though some of the air had been sucked out of him. He gasped when the first bolts of flame appeared out of thin air. Strands of fire shot through the walkers in front of Phineas. They were not the yellow and orange flames of campfires, but rather they were bright gold and dark crimson, one moment an enchanted purple and the next a brilliant white. They stretched out like liquid tendrils, not igniting anything, and John wondered for a moment if they were even flammable. They wove through the walkers and the waves in all directions, and though they did not extend all the way to Phineas's hands, he watched as Phineas's movement directed and coerced the strands of fiery light. Was it just light? The walkers were turning to avoid the outstretched bands of light or fire or magic or whatever it was, but nothing seemed to happen as some of them batted it away with their tentacle-like arms. Their pasty skin passed right through the conjured flame. Perhaps John simply wanted it to be fire. The more he looked at the outstretched fingers of piercing light, which had now spread through most of the harbor and the entire league of tidewalkers, the more he realized that the bands of flame reminded him more of water, exotic water with shifting colors and slow-rolling waves. He couldn't quite make sense of it, but he felt sluggishness come over him as he followed one strand of golden red through the army of walkers. He wished he could just lie down, close his eyes, and sleep the rest of this nightmare away. And then he heard the words, or sounds, rather. It was some other language that John didn't recognize. Phineas was no longer whispering as he had in the alley and on the docks. He was now shouting in a deep, commanding voice filled with guttural incantations that would have made the hair on John's neck rise if his flesh wasn't already covered in goosebumps from the cold rain. It felt as though he had come out of a trance as he focused back on Phineas, who appeared to actually be growing in size on the dock. 
He wasn't, of course, John thought. He was actually getting a little smaller because the whole time the ship was still moving away from Labrie's Harbor. The torrent of the winds and the rain and the waves bashing against the sides of the ship made the rowing a dangerously slow business, but they were still making some progress. John hoped Phineas realized this and didn't stay back too long. Rowan still lay next to Phineas and was holding his bloody leg. The harbor was aglow from whatever Phineas had conjured, and John saw the true numbers of the Tidewalkers. It was frightful. There must have been two or three hundred of them, and more in the water. Where could they have come from, he thought desperately. And why did Phineas seem to think they were after him? Before he could finish his thoughts, though, Phineas shouted something in the language he had been chanting. John felt the same creepy feeling of air being sucked out of his chest just before the first bolts shot from Phineas's hands. It looked like small bits of lightning, but John knew immediately it was fire. Some strange, powerful, and old fire rooted in a magic that scared him the more he watched. Suddenly, there was a sound like a thousand trees snapping and falling to the forest floor. It shook John to his core. He shielded his eyes as before him the entire harbor burst into a wall of fire stretching from the east corner of Merchant's Row to where Phineas and Rowan remained. Phineas himself actually fell forward toward the blaze as John ducked away from the sudden mass of scorching heat. The rain continued to fall, and with each torrential sheet that fell, a hissing and a steam surfaced from the water. Added to the tumult was the sound of hundreds of tidewalkers writhing and shrieking in agony. John was unprepared for the sheer volume of noise that was amplified off the ocean. He took his hands away from his eyes and put them over his ears. And the smell, it was sweet like ginger, honeysuckle, and silobark and smoke all muddled together in a fragrance that was entirely out of place in this horrific scene in front of him. Rowan, what was he doing? Phineas was trying to pull him up, but he was resisting, yelling something back at Phineas over the flames. He jerked his arm away, wincing at the pain the movement caused, and pulled himself to the edge of the dock. Phineas looked at the flames and then back at the man struggling in front of him as though he couldn't decide what to do. Rowan turned and said something else that seemed to make up Phineas's mind for him. He reached down and helped Rowan step off the dock and into the water. John shouted out at them, infuriated at what he was watching. Of course, neither could hear him, and Phineas, after releasing Rowan's hand, turned his back on the monstrous flames that threatened to engulf him at any moment and ran up the final dozen yards of the dock towards the jasmine. The jasmine, however, had already pulled too far from the dock for Phineas to be able to jump aboard. Phineas showed no signs of slowing down, though, and as he reached the edge of the dock, he leaped into the air. By this time, the jasmine was twenty feet away. But to John's amazement, Phineas held his staff with both hands and was propelled through the air all the way to the ship. He landed with a soft thud. John was speechless. He could not believe what he'd seen, nor could he believe that Phineas could have left Rowan. Behind Phineas, he could see what remained of the dock smoldering. Two large sections, one where Rowan had been ten seconds ago, were missing. All that remained were a few wooden beams reaching up out of the depths and glistening in the moonlight shower. What did you do? Where is he? How could you leave him? John roared, tears swelling up in his eyes. Enough! Phineas seized him and began dragging him with an iron grip towards Abram. He bent in as John thrashed his legs and said, He is alive, but I'm too weak to have carried him, and he could not so much as walk, much less run to catch the ship. He told me as much when I tried to lift him. There was a boat. He pointed, and John scanned the water desperately. He should be free of the flames. Now, we're not out of harm's way yet. You must listen. 
John thought he could make out a small craft, just a rowboat, bobbing up from behind the dock where Rowan had been. It had been hidden from view a moment ago. He wasn't sure. He stopped trying to escape from Phineas's arm, and he felt his grip loosen. Bears! came a cry from a deckhand as he leapt up the stairs from down below. John heard the sounds of wood splintering. What little momentum they'd built up began to fade. John began to wonder how he ever thought they'd be safe once they got in the ship. It was the middle of the storm at night in the harbor. It would take twice as many crew members to row them out here at any kind of decent speed, even on calm waters. Pull in the oars. They'll have to cut the bayas off. And tell them to keep checking for more every few minutes. Schools of bayas can stretch for miles. And we won't be done with their nuisance for a while. Go! Phineas commanded Abram as though it was his ship and not Abram's. But Abram rushed down the stairs all the same. He seemed to know better than to argue at that point, especially with creatures he'd only ever heard of in stories now devouring the very wood that held them afloat. John turned again towards the dock that was still creeping away from the jasmine as they inched out of the harbor. He strained his eyes to the disheveled bunch of wood where he'd last seen Rowan as Phineas shoved him up the stairs of the poop deck. He could just make out a figure struggling with oars and turning away from the fires. John thought the little boat would have burst into flames if it had not been for the pouring rain and he saw something sticking straight up out of the center of the boat, which he knew had to be the spear. He looked up as a shape flew through the air around Rowan's boat, and as lightning flashed in the distance, he realized it was a sea eagle, a huge sea eagle. John couldn't believe the size of it as it swooped down and began fending off any tidewalkers that swam out to Rowan's boat. John was amazed, but sad too. He decided that his pa would probably be safe, but he was desperately afraid of leaving him behind. He so wished that Rowan could be on board the Jasmine with him and Phineas. It wasn't as though they'd be any safer, but at least they could have been together. John! Phineas shouted again. How many times had he yelled his name? Everything was so magnified. Phineas had to lean in and yell straight into John's ear. Take the wheel! He was pointing at the huge wheel that John had often imagined gripping and turning. He took hold of the ivory grip with his right hand and looked closely at the carvings on the wheel. Suddenly, the deja vu he'd felt earlier rushed back. They'd been so rushed he'd forgotten about the spiral woodwork on the wheel. He hoped he'd be able to ask Abram about it if they made it away alive. His jaw hung open in disbelief and he reached out to touch the wheel with his other hand. He turned his back to the burning harbor. The flames continued to rumble and crackle and hiss. The deck in front of him was a maze of dancing shadows. As he grabbed the heartwood grip and squeezed with both hands, he had a moment of worry as he wondered whether the flames would be doused before consuming more of the harbor than Phineas had intended. Many people's livelihoods were on Merchant's Row. He feared for the safety of Rowan floating alone in the sea. He hoped the stern hadn't caught on fire or been damaged in the blast, because he could still feel the intense heat on the back of his neck, and he couldn't imagine or didn't want to what could be next. Phineas had acted as though this was just the beginning. He tightened his grip and felt Phineas's arm on his shoulder, and he could have sworn that he heard that strange language being whispered even though he couldn't even make out his own thoughts clearly. Once again, he felt that extremely uncomfortable sensation of having the air knocked out of his lungs, and just before he blacked out, he felt the ship surge as if a great wind had seized its sails and was urging it out to sea with the force of a thousand gales. (laughs) 